Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by FreshBooks. They're the easy-to-use invoicing solution that's helping freelancers and small business owners get organized and save time invoicing. You can try FreshBooks for free. Just go to freshbooks.com slash TWIP and enter TWIP in the How Did You Hear About Us section when signing up. This week on TWIP, Prime, spelled with two I's, debuts a new mobile photo editing application. Also, Arkansas proposes privacy legislation that could effectively kill street photography. And Amazon introduces unlimited photo storage for only $12 per year. And you don't even need an Amazon Prime account. It's Monday, March 30th, 2015. And this is TWIP. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today on the show to discuss all things photographic are Mr. Michael Willems and Mr. Iberian X. Perillo. Hey, gentlemen, how are you? Great. Nice to be here and good to uh, talk to you again, Frederick. It's good to have both of you guys on. Michael, uh, Barry Next, you're like, you're like a veteran on TWIP now. This is like, what, your sixth time on the show or third or something, right? I don't count, man. <laughs> you lost count. <laughs> You lost go. Michael, we've interviewed you before, but you uh this is this is you're you're kind of in the hot seat here as the new guy sitting in the cast of characters here. So tell us tell us and the uh the Twip army a little bit about yourself. Right. Well it feels like I've been here forever simply because I've been listening forever. I love Twip and um uh, you know, a lot of what I know, I know through TWIP. Uh what I know in my job is what I need for my job. I'm a photographer. So mm-hmm. I shoot, I teach and I write. I have three businesses. I teach photography at a local college. I have my own school and I do traveling uh, show kind of teaching. And I um, write. I have six ebooks, current count. It was uh, one ebook last time we spoke. It's six now. And I do as much photography of as many different types as I can. And what's your, what's your favorite genre? If you had to choose one, what would be the genre you stuck to? Oh, but God, that's so dear. It's like asking your favorite food. It depends. Is it before or after uh, dessert time? Well, yeah. Pick, pick you your know, slice of time. Well, it, it would involve people, for sure. Uh, it would involve people and it would probably either be environmental portraits, business portraits, CEO portraits, or nudes, but not of the same person. Got it. <laughs> yeah. CEOs in the nude. There you go. That's a whole different genre of photography right there. Yeah, exactly. Barry Nex is cringing over there. Barry Nex, what about you, man? What do, what have you been up to over there? Cranking out the candid frame, street doing street photography and all kinds of stuff? Yeah, yeah. Just doing a little bit of everything, you know, in the midst of working on a on a new book that I can't talk about now because I'm doing it in conjunction with someone else. And uh, that's gonna keep me busy for the next several months and then you know, also, I'm coming on board with TWIP. Yes, you are. So there's nothing, there's no shortage of stuff on my plate. Ever. Yeah, so in case you missed it, uh, TWIP Army, listening and watching to this, or watching this episode, you just heard Barry Nix officially announce that one of my favorite shows, The Candid Frame, is now joining the TWIP network as one of our TWIP shows, which is a huge deal. So... Congratulations to me, I think. I want to 
<laughs> I was gonna say congratulations to you, but really, I want to say congratulations to me for uh, for doing my little Jedi mind trick on you to get you to come into the network. Well, so, those flowers and that box of chocolate really just won me over. You know, you got to You got to have class. I'm just saying. You know, <laughs> look look for the Tiffany's box in a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Let's let's dive into the show. We've got a lot of cool stuff to uh, to discuss. Before we do that, I want to thank our first sponsor for this episode of This Week in Photo, and that's our good friends over at FreshBooks.com. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy-to-use invoicing solution that's helping freelancers and small business owners get organized and save time invoicing. You can try FreshBooks for free. Just head over to freshbooks.com twip and enter twip in the how did you hear about us section when you sign up. And as I've said on This Week in Photo before, we use FreshBooks as the back end to basically run most of the stuff behind the scenes on this business to keep the lights on and to keep everybody happy. Because as we all know, as creative professionals, we're not necessarily focused on capturing our income, expenses, and tracking billable time and all that. And I think the reason that we don't capture all of those things is simple. It's boring. We're creatives. We like fun stuff. We like Photoshop and Lightroom and you know, all these other cool things that let us express that side of our brain. And thankfully, FreshBook offers us as small business owners a way to quickly and easily keep track of our time and money without disrupting our workflow or, you know, sort of messing with our creative juices. With FreshBooks, you can invoice clients. It's easy. You can do it in seconds and expenses can be automatically imported so that you don't have to lift a finger. You're just doing the stuff on the back end while you do other cool stuff. You can even track billable time as easy as starting a timer on your on your mobile phone. You can whip up business reports. You can stay on top of your income, expenses, and tax time is coming up. So with a couple of clicks, you can generate reports for your CPA or your accountant so that you're staying out of trouble. So grab some popcorn, learn how to fresh books by watching some of their free getting started webinars. I'm a big fan of webinars and they've got some excellent ones online for you to check out. Once again, if you want to check FreshBooks out, you can just head over to freshbooks.com slash twip, enter the code this week in photo or twip in the how did you hear about us section to start your free 30-day trial. All you need is an email address to uh, to try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. Just go over to freshbooks.com slash twip and enter twip in the how did you hear about us section. And we want to thank FreshBooks for their support of this week in photo. And here's a quick look at what's happening this week on the TWIP Network. First of all, announcing the TWIP Joshua Tree Landscape and Artistic Nude Workshop. This is happening May 1st through 3rd, and it's led by Craig Colvin and myself. There will be multiple models, makeup artists, stylists, and all surrounded by the grandeur that is Joshua Tree National Park. So sign up now because we're only taking nine people with us. And over on All About the Gear, Doug and I dive into the surprisingly awesome Samsung NX1. And on Street Focus, Valerie sits down with Mark Rearson to discuss his Strangers project. And on The Fix, Jan sits down with landscape superstar Karen Hutton to discuss her processes. And on Twip Weddings, Bruce, Robert, and Brian discuss Covergate. What happens when your client outs you in the news and how to handle PR as well as dealing with customer complaints. And finally, on your itinerary, Rob sits down with professional Instagrammer 
Lauren Bath from Australia. All that and more is happening this week on the TWIP Network. Remember, you can subscribe to any or all of our shows over at thisweekinphoto.com slash subscribe. All right, guys, let's get into story number one, and it's all about apps. This app is Prime. So, you know, Prime is an app that's it's a, it's a photo editing app, right, for the iPhone that's out that lets you do some cool things. For example, um, according to uh, – Thomas Hawk wrote a, a, a nice article about this, and Thomas Hawk said he thinks that this is the best image editing application that he has used to date. <laughs> Which is a huge praise coming from Thomas wow. Hawk, who's probably shot more images than most people have to date, right? And uh, in his article, he said, the free app features a powerful suite of editing tools allowing you to enhance a lot of the basics around your photos, including brightness, structure, contrast, warmth, tint, saturation, sharpness, on and on and on, uh, highlight shadows, vignette, and fade. But the app can also save photos up to 50 megapixels in size, and he, say, he goes on to say, I don't know any other app that can let you output such high-resolution photos. And another interesting feature of this app is users can purchase styles created by other photographers to make, uh, you know, so photographer, photographers can start to generate income by creating their own styles. For example, you guys could create, you know, very next, you could create the, the Perillo kind of theme or look and feel and sell your soul, <laughs> you can sell your photography soul to people to execute on their photos through Prime, right? So, very next, when you when you look at this, what what's your your knee jerk reaction? You see, oh, Prime, an app is out there. Is it? Let me download that now and get to get to work with it, or is it the other side of okay, yet another app that to put on my phone to not use? What do you? Where do you come in? Uh, well, as a result of you telling me, I downloaded it, so it's on my phone right now. <laughs> okay. Usually, I'm not so quick to um, download uh, the latest apps. I, I use Snapseed. I use Lightroom. Uh, I use Square Ready, and I've just developed works for me when I'm, you know, photographing with with my phone. Um, you know, when I hear uh, that this might offer some interesting options, uh, I'll play with it. But usually, with with these apps. There's something that has to hook me almost immediately. Mm-hmm. If not, you know, I'll play with it for a little while and then I'll just delete it from my my phone. Um, the one thing you mentioned in terms of being able to uh, edit really large files on this is kind of interesting because, um, like, I have the the Samsung NX1, which has mm-hmm. a megapixel file that it can do with it. So. Um, I can link the phone to the camera and download that whole file, or I can download a smaller file from it. So I, I think that's where the, the larger capacity file capability this thing has is could be of interest for people who have these larger megapixel cameras and they want to download the entire file into their phone so they can edit it, uh, do whatever they want, and then upload it for whatever, whatever reason. Um, yeah. I'm still going to use... Lightroom and my computer for most of that heavy lifting, but I can see that on occasion I might want to be able to do that. But uh, on uh, occasion, yeah, yeah, yeah and that's I, that's where I that's where I come in on it. You know, my mm. I think my my workflow Baronex is probably very similar to yours. I think the only app that I I have Lightroom on my phone, but I don't use it that much. I'm generally either in the Photos app that's built into the device or in the Snapseed. 
and square ready, you know, if I want to put if I'm going to make something ready for Instagram or whatever. And then assorted other little specialty apps depending on what I want to do, but generally speaking, I could probably get along with just Snapseed. So Michael, when when you look at when you when you see this, right? Um like oh, for example, let me let me let me phrase or or frame the question here. When I look at this, the first thing I think is like awesome, A, people are continuing to innovate in this space, but then I also think B, the the kind of nugget or the pearl in this in this you know the, the in this app is the fact that it can it can manipulate these large files and the profiles that can follow that you can you know download from other photographers. But when I look at it and I apply it to my world, I think right. why do I want to mess with 50 megapixel images or you know or large images on my mobile device? My workflow there is if I'm shooting with say one of my one of my cameras, if I need to get that image off of that camera, I'm gonna move it in there. I'm going to move a JPEG in there, which is more than adequate for what I need mobily, and then do whatever I want to do with it there and share it out. 50 megapixels, those kind of files I tend to think of as, okay, I'm going to do some real work. I need to sit down at the MacBook Pro or the iMac and actually get to work on it. What do you you guys think, Michael? Yeah, I think the same. I think I, I can't see it for me because, you know, every time I work on my MacBook Pro, I need more real estate than I have. You know, I've got big screens. I've got the big cinema screen, mm-hmm. but that's not enough. I have two of them next to one another, and that's barely enough. I can't see doing anything on an iPad or an iPhone, anything serious. It's, it's, I fail to see it, and that may just be me not seeing it, but, you know, I don't see it. I, I really I need as much power as I can get, as much real estate as I can get, uh, you know, my iMac is perpetually hot. It's like 85 Celsius. You know, <laughs> it's burning, uh, and that's just me editing photos. Yeah, know? yeah. Like doing that on a, on a small device. I I'm sure there's a. I, I can imagine a scenario when I'm in a hotel room somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, and I need to do something quickly. An editor wants a picture right now. Yeah, then I can imagine doing something. Other than that, I just don't see it in a serious workflow. I. Don't forget, I never come back from a shoot with one image. I come back with uh, 250. Yeah, terabytes of images. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah, I hear it, and maybe part of me is thinking. I mean, I want to play with it, and the, I looked at the app, and it looks, you know, online, um, and it looks very pretty. I mean, it's mm. it's a well, very well designed app, um, and part of me is thinking. Okay, there's this rumor of these larger Apple tablets. Maybe it makes mm. sense then, because then. Possibly with a larger, a larger retina screen on a tablet and a faster processor in there, we could actually get down to some serious work, desktop level work on a mobile device if that was here. But I just don't see it on my phone right now. I mean, Barry, next, could you see yourself walking around? You know, you say you're put yourself in a in a scenario. You're walking around L.A. and you you drop into this coffee shop and uh, you know you've got your you you've got Prime loaded on your phone. And would you feel like that's where you might want to start editing? Or if you had one of the, these larger Apple tablets that are rumored to be coming out, would you use that? What do you think? Oh, I wouldn't bother with a large Apple tablet. No way. No? You know, I, I had an original iPad, and that thing was too big for me. Um, I, I got an iPad mini, and that's perfect. That fits in a very small bag. Uh, it isn't burdensome. So it's either going to be my iPhone or my iPad mini. And there it's going to be like... Um, 
you know, if I want to share an image that I, I shot that I uh, and I want to share it on Instagram, but it was produced on my digital camera, I, I may play with this in Snapseed and all the other applications because sometimes I'll want a specific look that one particular app may not give me, be it Lightroom, be it Snapseed. So uh, it looks like the the, the sort of styles <coughs> they have here are really kind of interesting. So I might find that there's a particular style in there that I might favor for a particular shot. So I would play with it there and then, you know, kind of upload it. But again, I'd have to really kind of play with and experiment with it. I yeah. think, like you said, it's yeah, interesting too. that photographers are able to sort of sell their particular styles. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of unique because with Instagram, you you just get what's baked in. Right. Um, I, think this, I think part of the uh, allure of this thing is the fact that uh, photographers are going to be customizing their own styles and sharing them. And granted, you know, people will purchase it, but you know, it expands the possibility of of these apps beyond what. The original designer may have intended. So I think now will you will you purchase one? I mean, would you are you the customer to purchase someone else's sort of preset formulas? No, no. I, I'll no, do what I want because I'm a pretty minimalist. Oh, you were asking Michael or me? Oh, either both of you guys. Yeah. Well, you know, for for me, I just do what the app natively can give me, and uh, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not so much interested in sort of uh, filters that other people have come up with. Uh, to simply apply them to my images. I think uh, for the most part I want to have as much control as possible so I much prefer you know what I can do with the tool that I have rather than just like plopping a style in and, and sending it off. Yeah it just kind of feels like I mean I want to see it. I want to see it work in action you know before I, I reserve final judgment but when I when I look at it knee jerk is like it's kind of like me like raiding your closet of Barry and X and like, like you know what Barry and X is a snazzy dresser so I'm going to take his <laughs> wardrobe and I'm going to wear that and, and it's going to make me look as snazzy as a Barry and X gorilla. I don't know Michael what about you? I mean would you Yeah same. No I don't I don't I don't buy anyone else's styles or filters or inputs or methods or whatever because I want to do my own. That is what I do. Yeah. You know, I mean, I try to minimize it. I try to do as little as I can. But, I, of course, I do have treatments that I use. You know, I might zombify someone or give them a nice desat look. But that's my desat look that I've made. And, you know, it's, it's, it's my style. And, gosh, it's like, it's like Rembrandt borrowing styles from, from Vermeer, you know. It doesn't sound right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I, and I, I don't... I don't dislike, because these are essentially presets, right? Just like in Lightroom, we have presets. Exactly. And uh, I'm not against presets um, for the most part because they, they, they serve as an awesome starting point. I use presets as starting points all the time. Cause I, Me too. I'm going to make a black and white shot. I know I'm going to, okay, I'm going to start there and then make it mine from there. I wonder, you know, hopefully these are this of the same ilk where it's just changing some numbers and then you can then take the ball and run with it from that point. Yeah, I imagine, and, and that's what I would imagine doing if I did this, you know, buy something I like and tune it. Yeah. Sure. Well, well, kudos to Prime for creating this app and thinking outside of the box with this 50 megapixel thing, as well as creating the marketplace, the Prime marketplace, which I think in a lot of ways it opens up a brand new income stream for a lot of photographers, you know, so looking at it from the standpoint of business, this is yet another income stream because people I'm sure would buy you, you know, if you guys got the app and created styles, yeah. people may buy them, right? So, yeah, yeah true. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, no. Very interesting. making money never made me think. 
Mm -hmm. It's a novel idea. <laughs> yeah, you're like, wait, now I really like this app. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. So let's let's move on to story number two. This one is uh this one is a little bit depressing. So uh, let me let me read what Bruce put in the notes here. So prominent photography groups are sounding the alarm about a new bill that was just passed by the Arkansas Senate. This bill is SB-79, also known as the Personal Rights Protection Act. Now, it would require photographers to get written consent from a stranger to feature their likenesses. In a, or their likeness in a photograph for most purposes. The law could give a, or could have huge implications on street photography, Barry next below, um, whose practitioners thrive on the ability to capture life and people on camera without having to constantly stop and ask for releases from their subjects. Now, the National Society of Media Photographers, ASMP, writes that it's joining the, MPA, the MPPA, the DMLA, and NPPA, and other organizations in opposing this bill and asking Arkansas, the Arkansas governor to uh, veto it. They said this bill expands the individual right of publicity to an unprecedented extreme. Uh, this is from the ASMP. The implications of the bill are staggering. For example, an image showing recognizable people posted to the Internet for a use that would not require written consent anywhere else in the world could have or could leave you open to a lawsuit just because someone in Arkansas could view it online. Now, our street photographer, resident street photographer on the show, Mr. Barry Nexperillo, who literally wrote <laughs> books on the subject. So when you see a law like this, is what? What's your? Are you worried, or are you like, ah, you know, it's unenforceable, never gonna happen? Oh no, it pisses me off. I mean, <laughs> I saw it this morning. Someone sent it to me mm -hmm. this morning, and I was just like, it's it's frustrating. It's really mm -hmm. frustrating. Not just because, so you know, photographers. It's, it's an unnecessary legislation. Right. I mean, existing law protects people from their images being used for commercial use. Period. I mean, that, that is the law of the land. So this law uh, is just poorly written legislation that just sort of eats away at the, the, the personal freedoms that we all, all have. I mean, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's legislation that's, that's based on fear, on, on, a, on a presumption of something that could happen. Mm -hmm. And as a result, it results in poor legislation that just sort of, it, it becomes really very problematic. I mean, I was reading through, through the bill, and I think for the most part, it, it's addressing the commercial use of people's images or properties or, 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 or voice. But, you know, I'm no lawyer, but obviously, you know, there, there's some, some lines in that, in that, uh, in those, in, in that bill that make it really problematic because one of the things that I was reading about was the fact that someone could, you know, sue even if they're not from Arkansas. They could file a suit against you as a photographer for the use of that image in in ways that uh, normally they wouldn't be able to, you know, to to to, to sue you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it creates an environment that it just becomes very hostile to photographers. And, and you know, lawyers, all they need is a single line in order to go, we can make money from this. And all of a sudden, it takes off. I, I, I don't see the need for it. There's no need for it. And it just makes matters worse. I think there's this, there's this legislation or this, the, the politics of fear. And all these people, you know, raise the, they start 
you know, raising their banners and saying this could happen to our children or this could happen to us or terrorism and blah blah blah. Nothing's actually happened yet, but then all of a sudden they start want to write to write laws to kind of protect us. It doesn't protect the damn thing. All yeah. it does, it starts just eating away at the rights that we have as American citizens. And most not, think, not only that, but it, it eats away the rights that we have in, as American citizens, but also ties up the courts from things that are more legitimate, right? Than someone complaining that, hey, my likeness was captured in that Walmart parking lot. Now I want to sue you for whatever damages for that, right? I mean, eventually it would probably get overruled by the United States Supreme Court, but that could take years, and it mm -hmm. could be an expensive uh, uh, you know, uh, problem for not all photographers, but it just takes a few. You know, yeah. all, and I don't want to be the one who all of a sudden has to face these all these huge legal, you know, legal damages and legal fees, and wait until the Supreme Court finds in my favor. I mean, yeah. it's, it's stupid and unnecessary. Yeah, you don't want to be whomever whomever versus Perillo as the groundbreaking case, right? You don't want to be that guy. No, right? I don't. Yeah, Michael, what, what do you what do you think about this? I mean, I know you're not a street photographer per se, but this is this this extends to all of us, right? I, I mean, I, yeah, no, I like to do street photography. I do quite a lot, and I used okay. to shoot a lot for the local newspapers and and for fairly big newspapers too. And I've seen this as a trend over the last uh, I don't know ten years. Well, not just since 9/11. It's a continuing trend. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I remember the G20 in Toronto. Uh, you know, the G20 conference when police were very nervous and I was stopped in the street just before the G20 by a whole bunch of policemen and they accused me of photographing them from the back which I didn't know was an offense which of course it isn't uh, and they said you need a release to, to, to photograph us you need a model release of course I told them no I don't I you know I know the law you don't uh, apparently and they didn't but they insisted mm -hmm. um, a local press release by the media sergeant of our local regional police here the other day talked about a, um, a suspect who was, uh, he was suspected of following some schoolgirls and so on, but that's not the um, thing I took issue with. The, the, the thing that I objected to was his language. He said um, the suspect was suspected of photography. <laughs> you know. Grand, grand photography, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, grand photography him. with extreme prejudice. Yeah. I, I called him and I said, look, you know, I didn't know that was a crime, suspected of photography. You say suspected of stalking, that's fine. There is an existing law, but, you know, right. say suspected of photography. No, I think these are very dangerous precedents. Uh, you know, I tell my students usually that, you know, you can take pictures of whoever you like, with some exceptions, reasonable expectation of privacy, um, you know, private property, all those things. But in Quebec, for instance, that isn't the case. In Quebec, you do actually uh, need to remove pictures, delete them if the people pictured uh, object. Yeah. Right? I think it would be an extremely bad idea if we go any further in that direction. We're, we're halfway there already, Frederick. You, know, you try taking pictures in a railway station, right. see what happens. You know? Even if it's formally allowed, uh, you're formally allowed to take pictures at airports, but you, know, you try and see what happens. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think I think we need to fight back. I think we need to fight back with I don't know information, education. Uh, photography is not a bad thing. Yeah, but what do we what do we do for the in this both of you guys, Marianne and Michael? What do what do we do in this case of SB seventy nine, the Personal Rights Protection Act, to make our voices as photographers heard? What what are the next steps? Do we write letters to our Congress people, or do we, you know, well, is, yeah. is it in Arkansas's well, hands or what? 
Well, unfortunately, at the time of this recording, it goes in front of the governor's desk tomorrow, Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, which is it April first tomorrow. Mm-mm. Wednesday. What? Okay, so it's March thirty first. It goes on the uh, the desk. So um, by the time people are probably watching this, he will either have signed it or vetoed it. Mm. Uh, so the hope was that he would veto it tomorrow. So there was a call by ASMP and a lot of other organizations to have people write to both the governor and uh, another person, I think, in the uh, in the assembly or in the house there, to uh, you know, to make sure that this vo- this law, uh, this bill doesn't come into law. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, people have beat the drums in the last you know 24 to 48 hours that the, that the governor will will listen and think better of letting this legislation pass. But if it if it passes, uh, it uh, we'll be hearing more about it. Uh, yeah, probably. for sure. Yeah, on this show and on many of our shows, you'll I'm sure you'll hear about it. Um, so then, okay, let's talk about that. What happens? What what happens if this passes? Is this the first domino in a series of dominoes to fall, or will the country rail against Arkansas on this particular issue? You know, when I say first domino, it's like okay, Arkansas did it, so now, you know, Florida will follow, and then Texas, and then you know, on down the line. No, what will likely happen is uh, at some point, um, um, a suit in which a person feels like their rights have been violated, mm-hmm. they'll probably file a civil suit uh, with, the, with the photographer. And yep. at, that, so at that point, you know, organizations like the ACLU and probably will you know, look at the cases that are being filed along those lines and, and you know, fi- go through the whole entire court process from you know, local to the state, eventually to, to, to federal. So um, there may be... I, I, I don't know if this is going to be a, a tsunami of legislation that's going to follow with other states, but nevertheless, it's the kind of precedent that if it's not, you know, stamped down, it will have a long-term effect on on photographers. I mean, we already have to worry about, you know, people telling us that uh, uh, photography is illegal. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You can't, do that. you can't make these pictures, and you can, you know, it's like, it's it's an onerous thing, and I think that. Uh, Though most snap shooters uh, are kind of oblivious to it, they don't realize that that uh, the ability to be able to take photographs to document something, uh, especially on a public street, is so important in terms of us as a culture. You know, I was thinking if if it goes, even though I'm I'm going to exaggerate to the extreme, the whole idea is that uh, photographing in in public, photographing. You know, people in their daily lives in the street, be it for photo journalism, documentary photography, that has a historical purpose. Mm-hmm. And it all of a sudden, for everyone that you include in your in, in photographs that are made, uh, you're going to end up with history books in which all the people's faces are blurred, redacted, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah, it's untenable. The word I would use is untenable. It's it's yeah. yeah, and so that that is a direction that I have in my notes that I wanted to I wanted to kind of throw out to you guys and this why and I know this is this is an unanswerable question obviously but why is it that the art form of photography is vilified like why why yeah, good <laughs> you know I, I, well, I mean is it because people yeah. think that we're capturing their souls on camera we, I mean mm-hmm. what is what is it about photography that creeps people out you know and lawmakers and police that 
you know, what what has happened in the past that was as a result of photographs being taken, this many people were harmed, you know? Michael, what, what do you think? Where does that mindset come from? Uh, I think I know. I think it comes from the fact that people have a, um, a warped perception of themselves. You know, I see this every day as a portrait photographer. You know, I think I'm 25. I know I'm 25, and somehow I see a picture of myself. I don't look 25. It's ridiculous. I don't want that. Mm. And I think many people have that. If you look at, you know, I mean, how, how often has it happened to you, you know, that you take a photo of someone and they say, oh, I don't like that. How often do you uh, intend to take a picture of someone and they say, well, only if you put your thinning lens on? Always. Yeah. Always, exactly. And so, you know, photography is seen as something intrusive, something potentially dangerous. Of course, things like 9-11 don't help. Nothing uh, was done that had anything to do with photography, but there's a perception that it's it's dangerous. We don't like it anyway because it shows us not to be 25 anymore. So you know, uh, we so you don't think, like you it. You think it's you think it's mostly attributable to vanity, then, right? So well, that's part of it. I think that's yeah, that's a very important driver, vanity for sure. Yeah, it's not the only driver. I mean, the other one is, of course, you know that you know cameras are. Look, this is a. A scary thing. Look at this thing. It's scary. It's, it's, that is it's, very scary. Yeah. It's bigger than a gun, you know, so it's probably as dangerous. Yeah, yeah. And of course, we, we've, we've got the, you know, all the panic about kids and everything. Taking pictures of kids is even worse. Now, right. look at Vivian Meyer, right? Yeah. That is enormous art. That's an enormous contribution to, to the 20th century in the United States. Vivian Meyer's portfolio. That wouldn't be there if she hadn't been doing, you know, street photography. Mm. It's just scary. I mean, this whole thing is scary. I mean, everything when you when you zoom out from and you look at it through a wide-angle lens of um, mm. you know the demise that is that's yeah. been happening to the the photojournalistic industry, you know, with exactly. and how that's going away, and then this with perception of photographers, and then lawmakers yeah. doing this and that. Uh, very next, when you when you look at this, what's your what's your standpoint of why why are we as photographers or captures of photons villains for some reason I'm gonna be really cynical and and say that it's it I don't think it's the general public that is I think it's it's you know legislatures lawmakers that feel like they have uh, can pass legislation that will help them win re-election mm. I'm here to protect your rights I'm gonna protect the image of you and your children from being used in ways that you don't want I'm going to protect, protect your privacy. And they can wave the flag and say that they're doing a bunch of stuff to protect it. And they're quite, you know, actually doing quite the opposite. And, you know, and it's kind of just strange that, that if people are really concerned with privacy, then get the hell off of Facebook. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. More than likely, they are going to be giving up more information about themselves, about their families, about their own children. By drinking habits, by using these cards at, at the supermarket that they swipe to get these small discounts on products that tells that you know that that store and everyone else that 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 exactly what they're buying, you know there's there's databases on everyone in terms of what you buy, how much you pay, where you travel. All, all those records, every time you go and pay for gas and all the different locations you go, all that information is accumulated and sold for profit. Yeah. There's no privacy that's assumed. All that information that you think is your private information, no, it's a, it's, it's a product. 
and it's out there in the open market. And if you're really scared about privacy, that's the stuff you should be concerned with, not this idea that some photographer is going out there and going to take a picture of you and and do something with it that you don't want. It's 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 a straw man's argument. It's, it's just there's nothing there. I love it. I love it. And I, I love it when you rant and preach like that. That is awesome. That was very good. We're going to we're gonna have to make a clip out of that and put that just that piece on the internet right there so we can play that over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, you're all joking aside that you're exactly right. I mean, we're, we're missing the target, right? Because all of these security breaches and, mm-hmm. you know, hacking that's going on in the back end. Well, what was it just last year? It was Target got hacked, uh, Chase got hacked, uh, DSW, the shoe place, got hacked. You know, I remember getting, it was like almost every other week I get an email or a letter from these folks saying, hey, we're sorry, but uh, you might want to get a new credit card because all your stuff has been exposed to an unknown entity and it's it's out in the wild now. You know, and, and I remember last year this happened, I think it was a couple weeks before Christmas that Target got compromised in everyone's credit cards. I remember getting this letter saying, we've limited the spending on your account to $500. I'm like, it's before Christmas and you've limited my account, you know? So, you know, I you're right, Abernex. I mean, the, we're, it's a straw man argument. We're missing the target. Privacy is the big issue, but it's still, the question in my head is still, yes, privacy is the issue, but so why are you looking at this innocuous thing of photography as a way, even as disinformation or misdirection, away from the real issue that is privacy. I mean, why? I, mean, I, don't, I, I don't get that connect of why you want to choose this thing. Why not choose something else, you know, that's that's more insidious than the taking of a photograph? I mean, I'm sure they will, like drones and all that stuff are on the in the crosshairs as well. A photograph is us. I mean, we take a look at those photographs, and basically it's a mirror of us. It's a very personal um, interpretation of us, representation of us. So I think that that's why it's so easy to take it personally. Yeah. I mean, there have been people who, who, whose images right. have been taken by, say, a, a family photographer, and they've edited, ended up in some advertising campaign for a uh, uh, a cellular phone company in the Netherlands at one point, and there was like a family friend who was out there on vacation, and they saw the advertisement. I mean, you know, yes, it does. It do, does happen, and it's shocked. And I know that I wouldn't want, want myself or my family being used in that way, particularly if it's a product that I don't believe in. Of course, yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. I think that that's part of that. The fact that all of a sudden you're walking down the street, and there you are in ways that you had no control over. But the, again, the, the existing legislation in this, com- uh, in this country takes care of that. Yeah, and, you you think Arkansas was trying to you think Arkansas was trying to protect against paparazzi, right? <laughs> so like, because it that's what it feels like a paparazzi pr- protection. I can see it does. the city of Hollywood enacting a law like this. You know, then it would kind of make sense because of whatever. You know, but Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that doesn't make it. That doesn't make any sense either, because the, you know, if you're a celebrity and out there, the existing, uh, those people who are celebrities can't, uh, don't meet the same standard of privacy that you and I do. Yeah, yeah. You mean the the so, whole reasonable expectation of privacy, or oh, they yeah. are in the they are in the public eye. Of course, people want to see them, so therefore they're more apt to be photographed than you know the guy that works at Starbucks or something. Yeah, yeah. So. 
I don't know. It's a sticky issue. I love tackling these issues. This is what TWIP is all about, having these kinds of conversations that dive a little bit deeper into these kinds of things to and, and to bring them to light. Because a lot of people that are listening to the show have no idea that this kind of stuff was going on. They just, you know, hey, what's my next camera? I'm going to go get the Sony A7 or whatever. You know, but they don't know, you don't you don't get your brain around this kind of stuff. And in many ways, maybe it's good. You know, maybe ignorance is bliss. You just go out there shooting along your merry way. If you're never hassled, then it's all good. You got great shots. But you're going to be hassled, though. Frederick. You're going to be hassled more and more. Yeah. You know, I don't know about you, but how often do you get hassled in the street, taking photos? Several times a year, at least. Yeah. You know, it's getting more and more frequent. Yeah, oh, I mean, I especially... Told- Especially if you have the dreaded evil tripod with you. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, good God, yes. yes. Don't no, bring tripod a tripod because that's like you're just something to set your machine gun on, right? right. No, tripods are terrible, yeah. Or big lenses. I mean, that's another thing, you know. Again, these big things are extremely dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And for the Michael, listening audience, uh, Michael's holding up a Canon 70 to 200, what looks like. Yeah, uh, F2.8 gigantic lens there that's obscuring his entire head when he puts it in front of the right. camera. Yeah, exactly. And, and so it intimidates, it scares, it's, you know, it, it's scary. I was, told, I, was, I, was, I was told in front of the London Eye, the, the big Ferris wheel in London, England, um, you know, I was approached by some person with a badge who told me, delete those photos. I said, you're kidding. It's a tourist attraction. I'm in a public street taking pictures of a tourist attraction. He said, delete those photos. So yeah. I had to delete those photos, and he watched. He watched as I delete, 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 delete. Of course, I went straight back to my hotel and undeleted them afterwards. Yeah. Hey, that's a that's a good excuse for one of those cameras that has dual card slots in it. Because then you Absolutely. just put a put yes. a little cheap, you know, card in the yeah. other slot and say, you know what, you're right here. I'm just going to give you my card. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then go about your merry way. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know. Hey, Baronex, you were going to say something. No, I was just wondering where, where Michael lives, because I know that uh, if in different places in Europe that uh, the rights of, of, of photographers... Well, again, yeah, you're right. Mainly France, though, uh, and, and I live in, in Canada. I live in Toronto, just outside Toronto. Oh, but okay. I travel wild, widely, and I've traveled all over the world. And, you know, here's the ironic thing. I, I think today, and this really hit me uh, not, not so long ago, uh, today, in, in 2015, I have more freedom in, um, well, I had more freedom in, in mid-1980s Libya than I do today in, uh, you know, your typical Western country with a camera. And that's sad. Mm. I literally had more freedom in Libya walking around with cameras than I do in Toronto. And now, when you weird. say more freedom, what do you mean by that? You mean freedom from being hassled or just being able yeah. to take whatever photos of whatever you want without fear of both mess with? Both of the above, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Of course, in Libya, you'd know not to take pictures of military things, but that's the same everywhere, and that's fair enough. That's, I guess, a reasonable precaution. Yeah. But, but you know, but save that. You could take pictures of anything, anywhere, any, you know, it, go ahead and well, do it. Well, taking pictures of military people or armed military people uh, in that kind of area, that's, you know, that would that would kind of be like Darwin at work, right? <laughs> so, exactly. Precisely. You know, and you know those that. people yeah. wouldn't last long anyway, and they'd be weeded out of the herd. So. Exactly. And you know that, and that's not a big deal. Yeah. But today, it's yeah. you know, again, that really hit home when these these police people, um, you know, told me that I needed a model release to take pictures of of police officers, which is complete nonsense. But, right. you know, they have the handcuffs and the guns, so. 
it's really important to know your rights. I mean, it's, when you're dealing with law enforcement, then we could have an entire conversation just on on that topic. Mm -hmm. but nevertheless, you know, it's really kind of important to know what your 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 rights are and what your responsibilities are as a photographer who's mm -hmm. working in public a public a public space. Um, you know, more often you're going to be confronted by people who are not law enforcement, you know, security people, private citizens. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's kind of important to kind of know where you stand with respect to that so that you can, you know, yeah. protect yourself and take care of yourself and you can make informed decisions about what you photograph and not photograph. And, and if you're confronted, you know, what, what you can do. There's that story about that. Uh, uh, there was a couple who's been traveling uh, in, uh, around the United States uh, making photographs uh, in different communities and um, they had just photographed some homes in this area and as they were they drove away to a gas station and all of a sudden they were stopped by this couple who said that they had been photographing their children without permission mm -hmm. and all of a sudden a gang surrounded them threatening them saying that you took pictures of our uh, of our children without permission and they felt very, very threatened. I mean, the woman was like in a complete panic. Um, you know, they were sort of, um, you know, they're, they were conservatively dressed. I mean, they, you know, they're kind of young hipsters. Sure. And so, you know, they were making, you know, accusations whether you don't look like you're a law-abiding citizen and blah, 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 blah. And luckily, you know, law enforcement came and was able to escort them away. But that's the kind of scary situation that can happen to a photographer uh, as a result of people making assumptions about what you can and can't do as a result of, of having a camera. You can be completely innocent mm -hmm. of what you're doing, but people make the assumptions that they can take your equipment, delete images, uh, because they feel they're in the right and you are in the wrong. And if you, if you don't know how to protect yourself, you know, it, it becomes a real perilous situation for you. For you. I mean, that's, that's yeah. unusual. But nevertheless, it's it's the kind of environment that we're living in. Yeah. But you know what? You fast forward into the future with, you know, these wearables that are popping up that shoot 4K and these these cameras. I've seen some Kickstarter projects with cameras that you wear on you that, that snap a picture every second just to document your day and, you know, things like that, that you wouldn't know. I mean, Michael, your camera is the extreme, right? Of course, it, it screams, I'm a professional photographer, beware of me. But That's what right. if you had a camera mounted in the bridge of your glasses and you're walking around doing street photography, you know, POV street photography of your day and then you're going to come back and call the images later, yeah. Now what? Now all those laws are out of the wind. Out of, you know, they're in the trash now because no one knows you're taking photos until you post them. That's right. right. So I don't know. I mean, this stuff is this stuff is crazy. You know, I hate. I I kind of hate being. Well, I really hate being a villain just because I have a chosen profession or hobby, yeah. and I'm. You know, I just I don't understand. I'm still kind of gro trying to grok why that is, you know, and what what that is in our legal system and in our own psyche as a society that makes us suspect because of the camera or because of the profession or because we choose to document things. So who knows? Who knows? All right, guys, let's move on to this next story. Uh, I think we're going to make this the last story. We're almost at the end of the show already. Look at that. See how fast these things go? Um, but the story number three is about Amazon. So Amazon, no, okay, to, to 
to set the stage for this story, on This Week in Photo over the past several years, I think, every now and then we talk, we have a show and we talk about backup strategies and storage strategies for photographers. And at the end of each one of those shows, it all always ends with, it depends, or the weak link is the cloud solution because you got to get your stuff up there before you can, mm-hmm. be, you know, all that stuff. So Amazon has announced another entrant here. Um, so let me read this. So if you're ever on the fence about storing your photos online due to price, Amazon has removed the price barrier. Now users who are, and I hate the word user. Could they just say people or customers? So I'm going to replace it. So now people who are not subscribed to Amazon Prime can also get unlimited photo storage for just $12 a year. Now I'm a Prime, Amazon Prime addict. So I already had this, <laughs> but I don't use it. It's funny. I don't use my Amazon Prime storage. Um, but if you're not on Amazon Prime, you can get unlimited photo storage for a year. So you just sign up for an unlimited everything plan, and that'll let you store your documents, your photos, your music files, and your videos for $60 a year. So that if you want to do more than just photos at $12, you can put everything up there, whatever you want, for 60 bucks a year. So it, it should be interesting. So... Um, in the context of this conversation, I'm going to ask you guys. So, Michael, I want to start with you. When you look at something like this, particularly the $60 a year plan, where you could theoretically take every bit and byte of data that you own and put it on Amazon servers, would you be comfortable with that? Even if you could get it up there, would you be comfortable with that? Well, there's two questions. Yeah, first, can I get it up there? I you know, the first thing I do is get up my calculator. You know. Yeah, it's diminishing returns as you as we get older, and the amount of data that we can put up there is kind of converging. You know, I, I probably need 10 terabytes of storage right now, so it probably oh, take good. me uh, take me about two years to get it up there. So that's one. Yep. But, yep. but but then the other one is, yeah, is that in fact something I'd be comfortable with? Um, you know, I'm I'm not entirely comfortable with giving one corporation the power to, um, you know, to decide whether I have access to my information, to decide whether that information should be, should be read because it'll probably be read, mm-hmm. uh, you know, by, by systems just in case there's anything bad in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not impossible to imagine that uh, authentication mechanisms go wrong, right, because they do sometimes. Yep. There was a week, uh, there was a week I couldn't order anything off Amazon recently. There was a problem with that password thing. Um, and I was on the phone for them, with them constantly, and they acknowledged the problem. Yeah, it's a problem. We'll solve it. Nevertheless, for that week, I couldn't order. Well, that's fine, but a week of not accessing my data would be less fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then, of course, there's, we're going across borders as well. So now I have, you know, U.S. Uh, spy agencies going through all my data, not just Canadian spy agencies. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure that I'm entirely comfortable. At the same time, the convenience of having everything in the cloud and, you know, not having to worry too, too much about it. Uh, of course, we should still worry because cloud servers can break as well. They're just servers, right? Yeah. You know yeah. what? As, you're, as I was reading through this and as you were talking through it, I was thinking of a Barry Nex's rant a couple minutes ago about privacy, right? So, right. Exactly. you know, on the one hand, we're giving all this data up, our credit card numbers and our shopping patterns and preferences mm-hmm. and all this stuff and then complaining about being photographed. But then on the other hand, we're going to... You know, if you subscribe to the $60 plan, the whole of your digital life could be on one server, which, you know, I would guess that the NSA could go sift through anytime they want to to find 
connections in the chaos under the auspices of looking for terrorists, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> so always an through, excuse. Yeah, that's right. right. They could go through your stuff and say, hey, a barrier next, I don't know, I see this document here and this document here, we're going to have to keep an eye on you. You know, a barrier next, what about you? I mean, would you... Do you feel the same way when you when you think about putting the whole of your digital life online, or is that just you know? Go ahead, put it up there. I mean, I I think about privacy just like like Michael mentioned. I mean, it's the, the idea that you're putting, you're you're putting you aside from the professional photographers out there. Let's just talk about just the, the average Joe enthusiast photographer. You're largely putting your personal life up on the cloud, and and for a corporation to protect. And to have a certain level of control over it. Exactly. And that, for me, is kind of scary because you do, you, you know, you really don't know what sort of safeguards are, are, are occurring with respect to that data and that information. Mm -hmm. uh, the NSA has the ability to be able to get into your information in ways that you can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't necessarily have to have done anything wrong. Exactly. You know, you just have to fit a software profile. And you will be included in whatever search that is, because it's sort of just a global. Uh, it's, it's just a. It's just an algorithm that yeah. is looked right. to search for certain things, and you could be included in that. And you include, you know, photographs, millions and millions of photographs of your mm -hmm. life over decades. You know, who's to say that that information couldn't come up, and all of a sudden, you know, you find something about your life is is interrupted as a result of some mistake. mistake. A single keystroke error, and all of a sudden you're on a no-fly list, or you know, or, or whatever. Yeah. Or you you appear you appear in a picture that some some bad person is in the background, and they get tagged, and you get tagged as known associates with that person that's, because you were you happen to be at a party, and someone you know who who knows, right? That's a perfect example. And you know, before I sound like I'm completely paranoid. Um, uh, you know, but I also see the importance of having some sort of offline, uh, uh, a cloud sort of backup. Because my, my fear has always been, even though I have backups here, that if I had a fire here, yeah, exactly, I don't have a cloud backup or I don't have another hard drive at at another location, my life work is gone. I mean, I, th yeah. I think about those people who lost everything in that fire in New York last week. Yeah, and it's like God. If that happened to me, everything would be gone. If I didn't have a cloud backup, if I didn't have something there. So I think that that for the, you know, I think that the, the choice of being able to store your images on a cloud, be it with Amazon or some other organization, I think it's a valid one. But I think you should be informed in terms of what rights you have and the corporation have and what they're basically there. The, you know what stipulations that they have in terms of your protection of your data. Yeah, yeah. the term yeah. the terms of service. And what it, what it sounds like is we gotta, if you if you were somehow able to get all your data up there on a cloud, which is good. Now you're safeguarded from any natural disasters at home, all that stuff, right? And theoretically, you could restore it if something happened to a new location. But then what I'm thinking, based on what you just said, at Barry Next, you probably want to have another corporate entity, Michael, <laughs> and back up your data from that one corporate entity to the other corporate entity, which then doubles your exposure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but also you're There's afraid no way to win this. I know. It's, it's, it's not necessarily a win-win, is it? What I do is I tend to keep my data on a couple of local backup drives, and then I have one off 
send an off-site storage drive that I replace every three months. So worst case, I'll lose three months of my life photographically. Yeah. But at least that way it's under my control. You know, I have all these nightmare uh, scenarios going through me, you know, I shoot nudes, imagine that someone decides they're no good, you know, and 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 uh, we don't store nudes, uh, and we've we've cancelled your account, next thing my work is all gone, Yeah. you know, it's, it's just yeah. not, I, I, I don't like the idea of giving someone else that amount of control, at least not without very, very strict and, and clear um, policies and, and so on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there was there were some stories in the news um, last year that involving I think it was Dropbox and maybe it was Microsoft um, storage, um, but it was I think and I don't remember the exact details of it, but the gist of it was this person had photos on their cloud drive that were innocuous, you know, but there was some some sort of bot apparently, which we didn't know about it, some sort of bot. Yeah. Looked through this person's exactly. drawers and found all this stuff yeah. that, and then flagged the account, shut the account down, you yeah. know. And then exactly. the, the, I think the the person, the victim, was thinking like, okay, I had no idea you were even looking at my stuff. Yeah, the, uh, suddenly the user was no longer a user. Yeah, yeah, that is. See, that's yeah. that's all scary, and that that shines a light on the fact that you think because you have a Dropbox folder or whatever folder on your desktop, mm -hmm. and you put your files into it, that they're somehow secure. I was listening to um, the uh, uh, Mac Power Users podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts, and uh, one of the, the people on there, David Sparks, I think it was, was talking about, he's a lawyer, but, you know, of course, he's not playing a lawyer on the show. He's just a photographer or just a, a Mac user. But he was saying when he puts his files on Dropbox, and unless they're completely innocuous files, he doesn't care about it, he zips them up into a, uh, a sparse bundle which is a way to make kind of a virtual disk and, and encrypt it. So before you put any files basically in your Dropbox, he locks them down in, in a kind of a virtual safety deposit box and puts that on the Dropbox. So when I, when I heard that, I'm thinking, yeah, see, now you are completely aware that putting things on Dropbox is just like putting them, like saying, okay, they're on my property, they're in my front yard, so they're safe. So you're putting them, you're going to put them in a box in your front yard and chain them down. And now they're kind of safe, right? Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. This is scary stuff, man. Scary well, stuff. I think we just need to make sure that everyone's aware of the problems or the potential problems. And, you yeah. know, we need to have very clear policies. We need to make sure that we know what they're going to do. You know, how many people think, you know, how many people know that Apple goes through the stuff that you store on your Apple Cloud uh, account? Because right. they do. Right. If there's anything untoward there, they'll take action. Or well, what agreements you know. they have with the NSA to disclose certain? Well, who knows this yeah. stuff? Right? That might. You guys need to write a book. You know, you both are authors. You know, we need we need a book on photographers' security and photography in the digital age, 2015 and beyond. That would be a great book to scare mm -hmm. the bejesus out of everybody. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, that'd be a good thing. Yeah, it would be. You know, if we're born, he's taking notes now. He's like, <laughs> call my book. <laughs> I know I keep reaching for my pen. I don't have one. Yeah. But but yeah, if we're warned, we can we can start dealing with these things. Yeah. Yeah, early warning, just like uh, you know, being warned early about a uh, asteroid. Mm -hmm. uh, exactly. <laughs> you got it. All right, guys. Uh jeez, we're we're running out of time here. I want to jump into our listener Q&A um and see if we can't answer this. So in case the twip listeners don't know, this is when we answer listener questions, you know, which is 
very much fun. So this question, or this week's question is from Anastasia, and Anastasia says, I hear people talk about using something called back button focus. What, what is it, and should I be using it? Back button focus. Very next Perillo. What's back button focus? Do you know? Yeah. Um, back button focus is the ability to separate the autofocus function from the shutter release button. So yes, which is example. awesome. Uh, here's, here's my camera, and typically you have to yes. press the shutter release button in, halfway in order to initiate focus, and then you press all the way down in order for it to, to, to focus. But you have the capability in a lot of cameras to separate that button from um, the autofocus function. So you could have um, a lot of, I think practically every camera, this one hasn't doesn't have it fully, uh, hopefully a firmware update will take care of that, but um, what, what you can do is that you can assign a button on the back, like this has an AF on button, Mm-hmm. And what you can do is that you will press the AF on button, and that will initiate the focus. And then either by fully depressing the button and holding it down or letting it go, uh, it won't refocus. So at that point, when you press the shutter release button, focus will not change. And when, so, in what circumstances would you even care about that? Uh, a lot of people who are sports sport shooters uh, find that really helpful because as they're keeping up with their subject, they don't necessarily want uh, the camera refocusing sometimes, so they want to be able to com- control it completely independently. Mm-hmm. Uh, wildlife shooters, for example, kind of like to have that control. So if they have a a, a bird, for example, uh, and they have some foliage between the camera and the bird, uh, e- each time they press that shutter release button, that lens may uh, rack back and forth and it might might focus on the foliage instead of the bird. Well, yeah. Once you've locked the focus on the bird, you can just take your finger off that AF on button and just keep taking pictures. You can fully release your finger from the shutter release button and and uh, and fully depress it, and focus won't change until you've initiated it again uh, using the AF on button. Um, yeah. Personally, I don't use it. I mean, I grew up learning how to slightly depress the shutter release button and use the AF lock button when I needed it. Hmm. Uh, if you do choose to start using it, there's a learning curve because what can happen is that if you switch your camera so that you are using back uh, button focus, you'll start taking pictures and then you'll realize that you're you're not focusing. <laughs> Guilty. Out of focus pictures. So yeah. you go that route, but you just know that you gotta remember. Otherwise, you're going to miss some great photographs that are going to be completely out of focus. That happened to me. That happened to me. Uh, it, I think it takes like two, two shoots for you to like. Okay, <laughs> got to get your brain around it. Because I was doing that. I was on the which camera was I using? The GH4, which mm-hmm. has that feature. You know, you can switch it to be back button, use back button. And I'm I'm at this model shoot. I'm like, oh yeah, but you know, and I'm looking at the back of the LCD, and they look okay. You know, so I'm just continuing to shoot. This was like for maybe 10 minutes or so, and then I look and zoom in, and you know, because you zoom in on the eyeball to make sure that the eye is sharp, and they're all soft. I'm like, okay, what is going on here? And then my brain had to rewind back to this YouTube video that I watched that said I should be using back button focus, <laughs> and I was playing with my camera at the time to see how to set it up, and I never set it back. So you're absolutely right. Michael, what about you? I mean, do you uh, are you a back button focuser or a half presser? Yeah, you know, I am. And there's a, there's a great coincidence here, and that is that just three days ago, I wrote an article on my teaching blog on back button focus. Oh. 
It's called Back Button Focus, Why and How. That's on speedlighter.ca. Oh. Um, I'm a back button focuser for a few reasons. And uh, uh, audience, you don't need to make notes because it's in that blog post. Yep, and no. we'll link to that for sure. Thanks. No, well, one of them, first of all, let's distinguish back button focus from back focus. Back focus is a bad thing. That means your lens isn't accurately focusing. Uh, back button focus is a good thing if you, uh, if you like that sort of thing. Um, I do it for a few reasons. One uh, is, of course, you know, as was just mentioned, uh, you can do it once, you can focus, and if your subject doesn't change, like for me in a portrait shoot, I do a lot of executive portraits, you know, headshots. So I focus very accurately once, and I'm at F8, so every subsequent photo of the next 25 photos are all going to be the same. So why should I have to focus for every one? I don't have to. Yeah. Um, second one is that it can be conceptually nice to separate the process of exposure from the process of focusing, because they're not the same thing. They're completely, you know, they're not at all the same thing. They're, they're, not, they're not even related. And right now, for most cameras, one button operates them both. You know, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, two different things should be, should have two different buttons. But the third reason I like to use back button focus is this. I can focus using that back button. And by the way, on my camera, I assign both buttons. Um, and for those of you who are watching, I'm pointing at them now. There's the asterisk button and the AF on button. I assign both of them to this function so that if I'm in a hurry, I can, I can grab the wrong one. Doesn't matter. They both do the same. And once I focused, I can then focus manually to fine tune or to change if I wish. And that for me is a, an overriding reason to do this. So I can autofocus and then I have the freedom whenever I wish to do manual tuning on top of that. But there's some muscle memory that needs to be established because I've, oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been shooting since the 80s with the half press method and okay. trying to retrain my brain to to do this back button, even though it's great, because like you're like you said, even shooting models, if you if you have mm -hmm. a model that's on an X on the ground, she's gonna stay within yeah, that exactly. that depth of field. You only need to focus once, so you don't need to keep focus, recompose, click, focus, recompose, click. You can exactly. focus once, yeah. and then every time you hit the shutter button, you're taking a photo. It it kind of yeah. it, it's it's very freeing in a lot of ways. It's a little very unnerving, freeing. but it's freeing. <laughs> You know, you get used to it, Frederick. I mean, I, you know, I do shoots where I use two different cameras that are both set differently. One to back button focus, the other one not. I have yeah. no problem switching back and forth. I'll figure it out, and, and you will too. Okay. Well, practice. And in, practice. In, yeah, and in the blog post, I've also indicated how to do it, at least for some common cameras, you know. So have a look. And, you know, what I would advise is people try and see if they like this way of focusing. Uh, uh, you know, I reckon that about three, three quarters of the people who try this love it and stay with it and the other quarter don't, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah, it, whatever, you know, it's just another option, right? Just whatever works best for your brain. Exactly. Good, well, Anastasia, I hope that answered your question. It certainly helped me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna force myself into using back button focus for, for like a month, and we'll see if it sticks. Kind of like forcing myself into using my Wacom tablet to see if I <laughs> actually <laughs> use it, you know? Frederick? What's that? Have you done that yet? Have you pulled that Wacom out of the box at least? I got it right here, man. Look, look, it's right here. I can prove it right there. Okay, all right. Here's a Wacom tablet. Uh, it is not charged, but it's right here. <laughs> One step at a time. I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. Every now and then I, I get into this binge of watching um, Aaron Nace videos on flurn.com. And that man is a whiz with his Wacom tablet. So every now, every time I watch an Aaron Nace video, I'm like, okay, I gotta pull my Wacom tablet. 
and get get good with the pressure sensitivity. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, uh, that's our listener Q and A. All right, before we continue with the picks of the week segment, I want to thank our next sponsor for this episode of Twip, and that's our good friends over at Lynda.com. This episode is brought to you by lynda.com, the online training platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, just visit lynda.com slash twip. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash T-W-I-P. Now, lynda.com is for problem solvers, creative people, or just people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to master Excel or learn negotiation tactics or build a website or even boost your Photoshop skills. Just go to lynda.com and feed your curious mind. lynda.com offers a ton of courses on Lightroom, Photoshop, and the Adobe Creative Cloud, and many on just getting inspired or re-inspired about your photography. With a lynda.com membership, you can watch and learn from top experts who are passionate about teaching, and you can stream thousands of video courses on demand and learn at your own schedule. And courses are structured so you can watch them from start to finish, or you can consume them in bite-sized pieces. You can even download tutorials and watch them on the go from your iOS or Android device. Your lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. So whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or just want to learn something new, visit lynda.com slash twip and sign up for your free 10-day trial. That's l-y-n-d-a dot com slash twip. All right, guys, let's do this Picks of the Week segment. Remember, both of you guys, you can recommend anything to the Twip Army as long as it is somehow related to photography. Michael, I'm going to let you go first since you're the new guy on the show. What is your pick of the week? So I find this difficult, not because I don't have any, but because I've had too many. I've, I've got <laughs> at least 52 of them. So um, my pick of the week is the uh, Honol Photo quarter-inch grid. And for those of you who are watching, I'll show you. Yeah, that's the site. And it's, um, it's a very simple grid. It's a grid you can put on speed lights, on small flashes, in other words. Mm-hmm. And I find that I do a lot of uh, I do a lot of flash work. My uh, my my speedlighter.ca site kind of gives that away, perhaps. And the grid gives me the freedom to show uh, to to use flashes and to have the light go only where it should go. In other words, not everywhere else throughout the room. Mm-hmm. Now I used to use grids in big studio lights, but they're big and and cumbersome and heavy and so on. They're really annoying. These things are amazing. You just slap them on your SB600 or SB800 or SB900 or 580EX or 430EX, whatever the flash it is, and you now have a very nice directional flash. And that really unlocks a lot of the advantages of uh, off-camera flash. And as you know, everyone's going on about off-camera flash. Well, if you have off-camera flash without grids, the light's going to go everywhere and it's going to distribute throughout the room, and, and your, your pictures just aren't going to be as effective. And so the, uh, the grid is my most frequently used uh, flash uh, add-on. Wonderful, wonderful. And what do these things run? What's the price? Oh, $30, not bad. Yeah. yeah, not bad at all. And, you know, I love these products because they are sturdy, small, um, light, and affordable, and that's a great combination. Yeah, you know it's funny we don't we don't hear a whole lot about 
uh, speed light photography, or maybe I just don't, you know, I'm a sample mm. size of one, um, but speed light photography, it feels like I used to hear a lot more about it, say, three, four years ago, but it seems like as sensors get more and more capable, we hear less and less about strobes. Are you seeing the same thing, Michael? No, not at all. I see, I see more and more because I see more and more that photographers today have to distinguish themselves from Uncle Fred. And yeah. I don't mean you, because you're not Uncle Fred. Uncle Fred, I, is, I am. Uh, I am Uncle Fred to like six people, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but not that Uncle Fred. The Uncle Fred I'm talking about is the Uncle Fred that has a big SLR camera that's on the green auto square. Yeah. Um, and that Uncle Fred thinks he's a photographer, and and professional photographers like myself fight Uncle Fred all the time, uh, simply because our customers know that I have a big camera, and so does their Uncle Fred, and so therefore they are equivalent. Uh, Uncle Fred says I'll do it for $100 and Michael says I'll want $5,000 for that wedding. Yeah. And so that's a ripoff. Unless Michael can show very quickly and instantly that he's better, uh, you know, many, many times better than Uncle Fred. And Flash is one of the ways that you can show that. Yeah. And I find that schools don't teach it much and certainly new photographers and photographers who start because they like their kids and then they make a business out of it, they don't have those skills at all. And they know that they need them and they want them. And, you know, it's so easy to make your outside pictures at noon, you know. You know that you can take pictures outside at noon. It's easy as long as you have some flash and you know how to use it. Right. All right. right. So, no, I see more and more that that realization is really hitting home. Yeah. Well, that's good. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, the mm. Honol speed grid or photo speed grid, $30 from uh, Honol, H-O-N-L, photo.com. I don't imagine you can probably get these at your fine online retailers or offline retailers, your brick and mortars um, across the world. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen them everywhere in stores. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Mr. Barry and X Perillo, what is your pick of the week? My pick of the week is one of my more recent acquisitions, which is the Zoom H5N. Oh. I like that one. Nice. Um, I have been using the H4N for probably seven or eight years, probably mm. a little longer, almost for the entire time that I've been uh, doing doing the podcast. And um, I was attracted to this not only for the uh, the podcast, but for some of the photo projects that I'm doing that include some multimedia in which I have to record audio. I was entertaining the idea of, of the H6, but when I saw the H5, I realized it had exactly what I needed. Um, when I'm doing interviews for the show or I'm interviewing uh, people for the projects, sometimes I've wanted the ability to be able to interview uh, more than one person. And normally with the uh, H4N, uh, I had one XLR for my mic and another XLR for, for their mic, mm -hmm. and that was about the extent of it. But with the H6 and the H5, they have these modules on the top, which you can remove and place another nice. module in there. And they have a module that gives you two additional XLR connections. So now I could set up four separate mics and record an entire conversation among four people, me and three others. And yeah. uh, for me, that's that was indispensable. Uh, they made some uh, really good improvements in terms of sound quality in there. Uh, the noise floor on this is is much reduced as compared to the H4, so you get much cleaner sound. Mm, nice. And one of the really really sweet things about this is that they have these analog 
dials. Yeah, yeah. So mm. Rather than having to go through the menu to adjust the volume for each channel, I can just do it visually by just just adjusting these dials. So yeah. that makes it so much easier for me to adjust for my volume and the volume of anyone else that's that, that I'm recording. And it just looks cool. It's a little it's more sleeker than the H4N. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's much difference about of weight. Um, this thing uses uh, two double A's, as, and I think uh, I usually use uh, nickel metal hydride batteries mm-hmm. on there, and it lasts me more than adequately. And I have a four gigabyte card uh, in here, which gives me hours and hours of content. I think the limit on it is about uh, either a 16 gig or a 32 gig card. So which will go for like days and days, right? Yeah. So you're, I'm always recording um, WAV files. Mm-hmm. Uh, this anyway, and uh, and th- and this is this is my portable studio when I record uh, the podcast in person, and uh, it's. It's yep. great. So for anyone out there who's interested in recording audio, especially, especially uh, if they're doing uh, multimedia with DSLRs and capturing video, the sound on the on the camera, onboard camera, even with a, an attached mic, is not going to compare to the sound quality you can get when you're recording from a lavalier mic or even a shotgun mic that's being uh, recorded directly on this. So if you're serious about video, DSLR video, uh, you need to get one of these. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. In fact, um, um, I had a Zoom H4. That was my portable recorder, the H4N. And I recently, or not recently, I guess a, a couple months ago, I upgraded to the H6, which, you know, it, everything you said, exactly. But I think the, the main difference is, is you can have two more inputs on there. So I can, with it, I think I with the with the additional module to add two more XLR ports on there, I can record up to six people independently on separate channels. So six mics, six XLR mics running into that thing independently potted with a analog dial, and it's just it's just magic. You know, it's magic. It's the best investment for anyone that does this kind of stuff, right? That does multimedia or audio or anything where you need to capture high quality audio. These these devices, the H the H6, the H5, um, and I have a H1 that I keep in my camera bag, which is just a little tiny handheld audio recorder that I use just just in case, because I can plug a little lav mic into it and mic myself and do man on the street stuff from my camera bag, you know, so I don't have yeah. to worry about ever being without audio. And some people don't need this. Uh, but if you like, for example, if you're doing uh, some photo documentary work and you want to be able to interview your subjects and get some, you know, like the, the Humans of New York series where he photographs strangers on New York and he interviews yeah. them. Yep. Um, some people are working on projects very similar to that. And if you want to record those conversations, the H1, I think, is ideal. Uh, sound quality is really good. It's incredibly, incredibly small. Yep. The sound quality you get from it is excellent, so you don't necessarily have to invest in something as as, as expensive as this or as bulky as this. That H1 can fit into your shirt pocket easily. Oh yeah, yeah, and it and it runs on what one one AA battery, and it is uh, ninety nine bucks. I want to say yeah, it's probably cheaper than that now. Yeah, it's like a, it's under a hundred dollars, and you're set. You know, you are set. Cool. All right, excellent pick of the week. 
All right, so my pick is, um, so just to set the stage of this particular piece, so a couple of weeks ago, I think it was Doug K or someone's pick of the week was a company called Meerkat, which created a piece of software that runs on the iPhone to essentially allow you to live stream and allow your Twitter followers to follow you and look at you or look at what you're streaming live. Um, well, uh, long story short, that company hit some hard times when Twitter itself announced their app called Periscope, which essentially does the same thing, and I would argue probably a lot better <laughs> than what they were doing. So uh, my pick of the week is going to be Periscope, and in fact, I'm going to uh, I'm going to actually do a quick broadcast right now of a hangout that's being broadcasted, and hopefully I won't crash my internet bandwidth. So right now, I'm looking at the app. I ran the app, and all it's saying right here is, what are you seeing now, right? And with a big red start broadcast button. So I'm going to say, recording TWIP. Okay, so come watch me. Come watch. <laughs> okay, so the name of this video is called Recording TWIP, Come Watch. So what I'm going to do is, if I can do this, right? Okay, so now all I have to do is say start broadcast. So I'm st I've started the broadcast, and now the people, okay, folks that are maybe listening to this live, this is me recording TWIP live, and on the screen here is a Barry and X Perillo and Michael Willems right there as we record a live episode of TWIP from my home studio. So now I'm recording, guys. So not only, not only did I make this my pick of the week, but I'm recording this live as we record an episode of TWIP. And it's all broadcasting. So we're broadcasting TWIP live through Hangouts. I'm broadcasting me recording TWIP live in the home studio using Periscope. And it works. Look at that. The whole thing is working. And you're so, giving me brain freeze just thinking about all this. It's like, That's yeah, right, I'm, exactly. crossing, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm crossing the streams. And, like, the numbers of people that are watching us is going up. Like, right now, it started at zero. Now it's already at 30, 35. It's, it's 30 or 29 now. So this is pretty cool. I mean, the fact that I was just able to type, hey, we're recording TWIP, hit a button, and now I'm recording and broadcasting live to you guys. So very cool. So, folks that are watching this, you can see how my screen works. Uh, look at this. So, look, here's my Hangout. This is how I have it set up for the Hangout. So, you can see This Week in Photos. On the top there, we've got a Baron X Prillo and Michael Willems in the room with me as we record this, this show live. Okay. All right. So, anyway, that's my pick of the week, folks. I'm going to – thanks, folks, that tuned in to watch this live stream on Periscope. i got to hang up because I have to end the show now. <laughs> so, I will uh, see you guys later. So, stop broadcast. There you go. Okay. So, now on the phone it says it's uploading for replay. So, it's going to upload that video so that people can then watch it. I think it stays live on Twitter for 24 hours or so. So, people can then watch that little clip later and it's also giving me the option of saving it to my camera roll so it's not lost forever like a vine or something it's actually on my camera roll that I can go back and edit it later and do wow. other stuff with it wow. and it's free I mean it's free that's uh, that's ridiculous so I think that's one of the best one of the best apps I've seen so far for doing this sort of social video like a Barry Next you could go out on a street photography uh, workshop and bring your Twitter audience into it 
when you're out there. Michael, you could do the same. You know, mm -hmm. when you're doing street photography or doing a model shoot or something. Yeah. You know, you could totally bring the world in there for a couple of minutes and have them get a feel for what you're doing. And the whole live aspect of Periscope just adds awesome. this sort of weird, like, I don't know. It's a weird kind of feel of like, okay, I'm sharing this with the rest of the world for just a couple of seconds and then it's over. So it's a weird nuance and a weird take on social media. So definitely give that a shot if you guys haven't played with it yet. It's called Periscope from the Twitter folks. Sounds awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. All right, guys, before we end the show, what have you guys got coming up? Michael, what's what's happening in your world over the next couple of weeks? Well, really more of the same. Uh, more shooting, more texting, more, um, those, uh, more, more writing, rather. Um, a lot more teaching, but especially since we're about to uh, head out of our igloos, uh, more outside stuff. Mm. Head out of your igloos. See, we don't have igloos here in uh, California, you know, a very no. next. <laughs> very, no, of course, as it happens, we don't in Southern either. California, enjoying the weather down here, and I'm in Northern. It's, a, it's about two degrees cooler up here, but still very nice, right? Well, whenever I drive down to Florida or Texas or whatever, it's the, the, you know, the great thing driving down is that every hour it gets about three degrees warmer. <laughs> uh, it, it's not so good on the way back when every hour it gets about two degrees, three degrees colder. Yeah. yeah. So we don't well, actually have igloos here, but it is cold. It's been a really bad winter. Uh, I've been able to do anything outside. And, you know, outside flash is so awesome. So we're going to do a whole lot of stuff outside. Yeah. Yeah. I actually kind of miss the different changing of the seasons. I'm from Chicago originally, and uh, we actually had winter, spring, summer, and fall. I've got an idea. We can swap. Mm. My house is yours. That's it. You know what the cool thing about that is? Uh, there's this thing called air travel that I can go out there and okay, visit it and then uh, leave. <laughs> yeah, okay, I was afraid you'd say that. I could leave all that snow behind and come back to California and hang out. Cool. Well, Michael, welcome. Thank you for uh, yeah. welcome back to the show and thanks for coming on again. It's a it's a pleasure. Awesome. My pleasure. All right, Barian X. What about you? What do you what do you have coming up in the next couple of months, weeks, etc.? Well, in a couple of weeks, I'm actually teaching a street photography workshop through uh, the Los Angeles Center of Photography, formerly the Julia Dean Photo Workshop. So on April 25th, we're doing a one-day uh, workshop in which we'll be starting off at the uh, at the LICP Center in Hollywood, and I'm going to give sort of a, a primer on street photography and my approach. And then we're going to catch the metro station from Hollywood and head downtown. And we're going to uh, start around Union Station, Elvera Street, and go around Central Market in, in, on, uh, on Broadway. And then we're going to head back after a couple of hours of uh, photography and lunch. And we're going to sit down and critique some of the images that are produced by the different participants. So it'll give people a complete experience. So a lot of times, we'll, you know, people take a street photography workshop, and they go and take the pictures, but they don't have the opportunity to get the feedback. Right. And get see what other people did uh, under similar circumstances. So uh, there's still spots available. You can go to the L, uh, Los Angeles Center of Photography website or the Candid Frame, and you'll find links there to, to sign up, and I'd love to see some of you there. Uh, with the weather as it's been in Los Angeles for the last couple of weeks, if it holds up, uh, it should be just a beautiful day for some street photography. Whether you're just beginning or you you know have some level of experience in street photography, it should be a whole lot of fun. And I would I would suggest I would encourage the TWIP Army to go attend that and congratulate Abarian X for joining the TWIP network as one of our newest hosts on the network. So yeah, 
go out there and say hello and buy them a cup of coffee. All right. All right, guys. Uh, and Barry, next, make sure you throw that link to that in the uh, in the show notes so that we can put that in the in the okay. blog post for this episode. All right. And my uh, what do I have coming up? Well, May first next month. We're we're in April. We're almost in April. Uh, May first through third, uh, myself and Craig Colvin will be doing a workshop in Joshua Tree. It's a landscape and artistic nude photography workshop out there. So definitely come hang out with us out there. All the details are at thisweekinphoto.com, and uh, we're gonna have a blast. It's a full three days of photography, hanging out in the park. We've got all our permits and all that stuff, so we can just have a good old time out there taking pictures of landscapes. Beautiful women on the landscapes and together and separate. So it should be should be a really good time. And then, of course, after each full day of shooting, we're just going to hang out in the hotel and just chat about photography and relax and just, you know, have a good time. So it's what photography is all about, the camaraderie, making good images, and then going home with some stunning images that you can stick in your portfolio and say, hey, look at what I did. So very cool. I'm looking very much looking forward to that. All right. Well, thanks again to both you guys for coming on the show. I think this was a this was a fascinating show. I think I've I've jotted down the title for this episode while we were talking earlier. I'm going to title this show "I Villain, Comma I Photographer." So we'll see we'll see what kind of uh, what kind of traffic we get with that salacious headline. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's the end of this episode of TWIP. I want to thank our sponsors, uh, FreshBooksAndLinda.com, for their support of the show. And if you guys want to check all the stuff that we're doing out and all the shows that we have going on, just head over to ThisWeekInPhoto.com. You can see everything we have going on. If you want to see a listing of all the shows, just go to ThisWeekInPhoto.com slash subscribe, and you'll see everything with easy links to subscribe to what we have going on. And that's it. And with that... It is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn. With technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. <laughs>